Moose podcast. I'm Kat. And I'm Moose. This is our interview series where we interview people who display the quirks of being human. Well, hey, Moose. Hey, Kat. Guess what today is? Today is probably my favorite day that has happened thus far. And do you know why? There's another Sarah in the room. I know. And we are so excited today. Um, I can't, I'm, I'm trying not to nerd out like I did on uh, Roma Downey when I met her after <laughs> Touched by an Angel, but I'm starting to feel those same feelings. Well, I remember you telling me your story of being at that, I think it was an industry party that Roma Downey was at, and you basically like got a chance to meet her and speak to her, and you basically could, the only words you could eke out were, I love you. I know. I love very, you. Very awkward. <laughs> I have a feeling that you're going to say those words by the end of this conversation because we are so, so honored to have Sarah Cunningham on the Cat and Moose podcast. And Sarah is the founder of freemomhugs.org. Uh, Free Mom Hugs is a 501c3 nonprofit. And we're going to let Sarah tell her story about what that is and, and try not to tell it for her because we'll probably screw it up. So um, we're really excited to have Sarah with us today um, as one of our early interviews on the Cat and Moose podcast. We are so excited to have you here with us, Sarah. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you all for the invitation and the platform. Uh, I love talking about uh, the nonprofit, uh, our organization, and uh, I've been following you for a while. So uh, this is a little different of a platform that uh, typically we've been on over the years. Of course, we've done podcasts, but to have an audience such as yours, uh, I believe that we can reach a, a new demographic. So yes. thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Um, I think I could sum it up by saying I love the mission statement of Free Mom Hugs. And that is that we empower the world to celebrate the LGBTQIA plus community through visibility, through education, and through conversation. And everything that we do um, involves those those facets and um it's been amazing uh i love celebrating a community that should be recognized for an important part of our history and our future and uh, i know the power of fear and ignorance been there done that and i know the power of love and education and i'm glad to be on that side of the story that is beautiful one of the things um i was watching a speech that you did at a glad event and I, um, I just watched it and I, all I said out loud accidentally didn't even mean to was this is the work of God. That's what I said when I heard you sharing what you do. And, um, I would just love for you to kind of share how free mom hugs even came to be. And, um, and a little bit about your story and your son's story. I have two children. Our youngest son is gay. Uh, my husband and I grew up and raised our children in uh, a very conservative area. Um, we attended a very conservative, non-affirming evangelical church. We raised our children there. And um, it, we absorbed this idea that homosexuality is wrong or um, a sin, uh, un unforgivable, the ultimate of sins, right? And uh, Parker, our youngest son, spent his whole life coming out to us. And finally, when he turned 21, he met someone. And uh, when he shared with me uh, that he met someone and that he needed me to be okay about it, 
I reacted badly. Uh, I did not take the news well. Um, I said some things and acted in ways and and even thought things that I regret today. Uh, but fortunately, we have a relationship. It's very healthy now. He's living authentically and thriving. And um, But part of that journey that took us from the church to the Pride Parade started when uh, Parker invited us to a Pride Festival not far from our home. And so my husband and I went, and it was there that uh, I had a, a, a pivotal moment, if you will. And I met this beautiful, spirit-filled community, and I just fell in love. And I started uh, volunteering with the, with the, you know, a local P flag, and um, soon with the Pride Board. <laughs> and um, I just started learning and gleaning from the community. And I'm not the first mom to offer free mom hugs at a Pride Festival, but uh, the very next year, I made a homemade button. Uh, that read free mom hugs and I went to the pride festival and with anyone who made eye contact with me I offered them a free mom hug and the first hug that I gave was to a beautiful young woman who said it had been four years since she got a hug from her mother now you can imagine um, what that that must have been like of course for her and uh, for me to hear it and in that moment there was a connection made that is beyond anything I can describe other than just love and acceptance. And I whispered in your ear something very affirming like, well, we love you. We're so proud of you. And we're glad that we're here together. Now go and enjoy your day with your friends. And that started the nonprofit Free Mom Hugs. And there's a series of events since then um, as you may or may not know, but in a very short amount of time, we had a podcast with Jen Hatmaker, if you're mm-hmm. familiar with her, Absolutely. and that almost went viral, but it gained a lot of attention. And then I don't want to get too far ahead and get ahead of your questions, but that's how it started. No, that's so good. That's really awesome. Definitely a big fan of of Jen Hatmaker's podcast for sure and love the waves that we've seen it make. That is really awesome. And you talked about your son. Your son's name is Parker that we've learned. And one of the unique things that I learned about your son that I have to ask you about, and I guess what I, what I want to know is, is the dog Oprah still with us in this life? <laughs> Barely. <laughs> Oh no! Well, we we read that Oprah doesn't have any front teeth, and we thought that was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, she's in their golden years, and you know the main thing is just keeping her as comfortable as possible. She's still eating, and she'll still play, and and um, but yeah. Well, we were we were reading up on you and, and reading up on your son, and I was like, oh my gosh, Parker has a chew weenie. So I'm thinking that's <laughs> like a chihuahua and a weenie dog mixed, I'm imagining. The dog's name is mm-hmm. Oprah and has no front teeth, which then led me down this rabbit hole of you <laughs> had just got a front tooth replaced recently, <laughs> to my understanding. Let's see it. Small, real big for yeah, us. Yeah, it's temporary crown. <laughs> right here. I've, I've had a few of those. And 
in that um, in that process of learning about you having a new front tooth per se, um, I learned that you are ordained and that you just officiated your first funeral, which I have to imagine was really sad and really special and really beautiful, all all in the same. Um, sphere. And then you have officiated several same-sex weddings. So I'm very curious as someone who has studied the Bible for a long time and theology and stuff like that, what was your process like of becoming ordained? Um, Well, it came about, um, my husband and I were on vacation. And I have to share this story because you just can't make this up. We were on vacation in Virginia Beach, first time to be there. And we were at a hotel and um, we had just gotten to the hotel and I, I called our son and say, we made it to the hotel. We're going to grab some dinner. Everything's fine. Cause we've been driving for a long time and you know, you got to check in with your family. So, um, and our son said, you have to go to land. Is it Landry's where they throw the rolls? It's yes, been several years now. He said, you have to go to Landry's have dinner on me. Um, so we go, we leave the hotel room and we're going to the elevator and there's an older um two women standing at the elevator as well and my husband said well what's for dinner and they said we're going to Landry's and I said oh we were just talking to my son about that and they said well why don't you go with us and complete strangers so long story short we did go with them and we had a wonderful time and we didn't realize it at the time but they're a couple they're an older same-sex couple And they uh, had been together for a very long time. And so we stayed friends and they followed me on social media. And then when the the Marriage Equality Act passed, they asked me if I would officiate their wedding. Oh, my God. That's so cool. And they'd been together 28 years. And um, so I'd never really considered or even thought I would do that. So Mm -hmm. um, we have a, a local affirming church here called Expressions. It's on our gay strip. And Pastor Neil and I, we did some projects together. And so he knew me. He knew the work that we were doing. And I asked him, how do you get ordained? He goes, Sarah, I would ordain you right now. I believe in the work that you're doing. And so we went down to the courthouse. I got ordained and I officiated their wedding. And it was the first same-sex wedding in Natchez, Mississippi, made the front page news. And they're still together. And uh, they're just lovely. and. Uh, that's how it all got started. What a neat story. Like the way that that the universe works and how things come together and the synchronicity and the timing is just stunning to me over and over and over again, as is just the beauty of your story and what you do. Um, part of Free Mom Hugs, um, I was looking up the website and in your Facebook page, and I read something that really stood out to me, and I was hoping you could maybe share a little bit about it. I read that no one has searched God, the word of God, or themselves more than the gay Christian or their mother. That's a fact. (laughs) That is a fact. You know, um, when Parker came out, uh, I had to re-examine everything that I believed. Like, I know you've heard me say before that when your child comes out of their closet, oftentimes the parent will go into theirs. And it was there that I had to re-examine everything that I believed. Why did I believe these things? And through talking with Parker, he never had an opportunity to share that process in his life because I wasn't having it. I manipulated every conversation. I thought it was a phase. 
Um, and I really, it sounds absurd to say these things now, but I really believe that God would not give me a gay child hmm. because we've raised him in the church. He knew, you know, the consequences of that. That was my thinking then. Mm-hmm. And um, that was on the fear and ignorance side. So, but I, I just, I had to start with myself, re-examining everything. And then uh, I found resources, faith-based resources that um, convinced me that homosexuality is not wrong. It's uh, a gift from God and to be a beautiful expression of human sexuality and um, really to be celebrated as a, as a dynamic in our family and other families like mine and in the world. The gifts uh, that have been just dumbed down and shamed um, is just so disheartening when I think about it. So that's a big part of why Free Mom Hugs celebrates the community like we do. I wanted to, um, if you don't mind, share just a paragraph of um, Parker's coming out story that is on your website. And um it it just really rocked me when I read it. And then um, I have a question for you. He said, flash forward to high school. By the way, he's an incredible writer. Please tell him that I said that. Uh, my family saw me changing. I was grounded more often than I wasn't. I left my skin at the door. My church saw me changing, becoming the things we prayed away, embracing the things about myself that I couldn't seem to change. Every single person I knew seemed to be embarking on this harrowing journey of what do we do about Parker? After I read that, I just, I weeped to be really honest, you know, like to have this idea of um, everyone around you thinking like, I don't know how to fix this or I don't know how to handle this. And I was just going to ask you um, in those early days when Parker came out to you, you know, whether that was, you know, you recognizing things or him directly coming out to you. What do you think in those early days that you were most afraid of? Um, I can tell you, quite frankly, I was afraid of of, uh, his salvation, that he was going to burn in hell. I see. I mean, can you imagine a parent thinking that about their child? And the fear, I was just frozen in that fear and that thought process. And so, I started bargaining <laughs> with God, like, what if, what if he's gay, but doesn't act upon it? Or what if, right. what if he thinks he's gay now or marries a woman or, you know, it was just all those scenarios played out. But ultimately it wasn't until I found the faith-based resources, searched myself and uh, seeing Parker live authentically and thriving. You see, before there was always uh, I mean, drama, like in the negative way, right? Like anxiety and uh, depression and not being able to talk about it because he knew I wouldn't, uh, I wasn't having it. And I mean, I weep too when I think about all the times he tried to tell me and express in his uh, mind at 13 or whether it was nine or whether it was, you know, whatever year or age group he was in. And I missed an entire adolescence of his life. And I, I think about what he went through, what he went through uh, with our, not only our church family, but inside his own home. And it, it just makes me very sad. 
but I'm so thankful that I have him still. And we have a good relationship now. And I'm just so thankful because a lot of parents don't. And I will say that I thought something bad had to happen to him or, um, you know, that, that something bad happened or maybe something was wrong with either my parenting or my husband's parenting. And really, I don't think any of that was true. I know nothing bad happened to him. And I felt like my husband and I did the very best. So anyway, that's beautiful. Wow. What a journey. Well, and I think too, like, let's like to see, um, you and him doing work together now, I feel like, um, just make, I mean, it it sort of makes up for all of those hard years, you know? Yeah, it does. It's really, really beautiful. And the gravity of that story is just, it, it, it's really, really powerful. One of the things that I want to um, go back to that you said a couple of minutes ago that I've been really curious about is um, I've heard you say um, that typically like when a kid comes out of the closet, a parent goes into the closet. And the immediate thing I thought of is I thought, well, what she must mean by that is that the kid is finally able to express who they are and and expound on on all of that and the parent goes into the closet in shame like that's what i thought that you meant and then the more research that i did one of the things i heard you say that just made me think you must be a superhuman is what i heard you say was i went into my closet and i got educated And I thought, wow, for you to step out of the idea of um, what did I do wrong as a parent? What's wrong with my child? What happened to him that I couldn't protect him from? How I would love to hear a little bit about your process evolving from, you know, having some of those feelings to kind of the tide turning and you focusing toward education and understanding and now even more so advocacy. Well, um, the first part of your question is that um, as profound as this story may seem, uh, unfortunately, there are hundreds of thousands of moms um, that have the same story, that have the same story. Mm -hmm. Our our children may vary on the spectrum, but it's all the same story. And um, it just came with finding the resources that I needed. in fact, I went to Barnes and Noble early on. This is before we even had a good laptop or internet. You know, I just wasn't very savvy. I'm still not, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and I found a book that uh, a mother wrote. It was a memoir of sorts. And she talked about two uh, two daughters, one that was killed in an automobile accident and the other that um, came out as lesbian. And she said it was easier to accept the daughter's death than the sexuality um, of the other daughter. And that was not helpful at all. Yeah. And um, so it was a process for sure. Um, Not only finding the faith-based resources that, that I needed, but um, seeing other, well, seeing Parker live authentically and thriving and seeing other people accept him seen other people celebrate him. Oh wow. When I I didn't really know if I wanted to or how to. Um and I had a pivotal moment in the laundry room. I don't know if you've read my memoir yet, but um, you know, at, at a time 
I was in the laundry room and, and I just was distraught. I just, you know, Parker and I had been having conversations, but there are moments like, am I doing the right thing? Like, and I, I was in the laundry room and I just prayed, God, I don't know if I can do this. And I, I felt like I heard a voice in my head say, um, what concerns your son needs to concern you. Wow. What he loves, you need to love too. And I thought, okay. And that was it. I mean, it was a pivotal moment. So, yeah. Sarah, what, what would you say to a mom who has a child who is gay, but is still kind of stuck in the quicksand of everything about my faith says that this is wrong? I would say, uh, I understand. I've been there. Lots of moms have been there. Uh, but there are resources out there, uh, faith-based resources that that undeniably prove that scripture has been misinterpreted with the very best of intentions, misunderstood, and misused. And uh, more and more scholars, theologians, historians are are proving uh, beyond a doubt of when the certain passages you may have heard of the clobbler verses um, that are used against the community, but uh, they've been proven about why they were written, who they were written to. And it says nothing about homosexuality, nothing. Um, And all of those things convinced me. And also hearing testimonies from gay Christians. My goodness. Yes. My goodness. Can you imagine if we lived in a world where the church did not make this the deadliest sin possible. You know, like imagine that, like, like I think all the time, like, yes, we have affirming churches in a lot of big cities, but a lot of small town Christians who happen to be gay, they're, they're, you know, in the middle of Kansas or Oklahoma or anywhere, Kentucky, And they're looking and that's why pride parades uh, or pride events are so important is often those are the first time that gay young women and men can look around and go, I'm not disgusting or I'm not wrong or I'm not, you know, all these negative things that they could hear from the church. Um, And so I'm curious from your standpoint, like, um, I know a lot of this is very systemic, but what is it that we need? Um, and is it the church is embracing that these verses have been um, misconstrued along the way? I believe that the problems that we have today started in the non-affirming evangelical conservative churches. And even laws that, for example, ban conversion therapy. Uh, we could pass a law today to ban conversion therapy throughout the land. It would not make a difference until we hear a different message from the pulpit. And I believe that's what's happening is that uh, children are coming out at a younger age because they're getting educated in their schools. Just today, I heard from a teacher uh, with a sixth grade classroom, asked the students to go around and introduce themselves. And one of the uh, young girls introduced herself and said, said what pronouns she uses. That's a sixth grader. Wow. That's incredible. Yes. That's good news. Yes. So um, it has to start within the family unit. And I believe that the ripple effect of that 
uh, will go into the churches. I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out that it's my generation that made things miserable. Um, but the non-affirming evangelical conservative churches are kind of fading away. And it's because people are getting educated. And we, uh, Free Mom Hugs, we receive calls from churches who are wanting to have that conversation. Beautiful. And I believe what makes Free Mom Hugs um, successful as far as um, what we do is that what we do is fruitful. And you'll recognize that as a you know a spiritual word, but it's fruitful. It feeds and it supplies and it provides and it's fruitful. In the beginning, I used to try to bridge the gap between the church and the gay community. Uh, I would invite them to a table. Well, guess what? I couldn't get the non-affirming church to the table. Hmm. I put a lot of time and energy in that. So when that was not fruitful... I started just pouring into the community and that to empower that is empowering and lasting. And that uh, produces in the life of um, um, the gay community and it's empowering and it's lasting and it's validating and it builds up. Isn't it so interesting how important it is, even though we have the internet and social media and, and technology and all of that, how it still boils down to the person to person relationship is where change is actually made. It's, it's the way that you handled and are handling things with your son. It's you reaching out to your community. It's, it's our communities reaching out to one another. Like it's really, really cool to be reminded, like, hang on everybody. Like this is actually, about one-on-one relationships and and it's it's cool to hear that that you basically were like okay I'm gonna go because that's the way I would think too I think well you have to start in the church like we have to go we have to educate and all that and it's like okay that's not being fruitful so let's just go and talk to people and have this conversation and and let it evolve and and see what happens and look at the fruit that has grown from it you've got a wonderful organization, Free Mom Hugs, and you guys are doing amazing things. And thank you so much. Again, to remind everybody listening, we're talking to Sarah Cunningham, who is the founder of Free Mom Hugs. And she mentioned a few minutes ago her memoir um, called How We Sleep at Night. Sarah, I would love to hear about the process of you writing your book. What can you tell us? Well, I can tell you that um, I just want to touch on this, that about free mom hugs being fruitful. It's because as moms like me with families like ours get educated, they're able to have conversations at the water cooler in Mm -hmm. the Sunday Bible school, Wednesday night Bible study. They're Mm -hmm. able to have conversations. And once you find your voice, there's no stopping it, no stopping Mm -hmm. it. So that's the movement of free mom hugs. Um, now about that book, um, <laughs> I self-published this book uh, titled How We Sleep at Night, A Mother's Memoir by Sarah Cunningham. And uh, Parker designed the front of it, the cover of it. Isn't that beautiful? That's that is, so I was cool. going to tell you, I love the cover. Yeah. And um, it's self-published and it was, uh, it came out on Amazon about the same time. Um, in fact, the last chapter is inspired by going to the Pride Festival. 
the last chapter. So there's no mention of free mom hugs in the book because it wasn't here yet. Wow. And uh, it's self-published. I just wrote it mainly for myself, having no idea. Um, (laughs) I mean, I have a 10th grade education. I have a limited vocabulary. And um, so we self-published the book and surprisingly so it's, it's done very well. And um, yeah, pretty exciting stuff going on. That is really exciting. And we heard in our listeners that might be hearing for the first time on the Cat and Moose podcast that how we sleep at night is potentially going to be in a movie. <laughs> yes. Um, to give a little history on that, if I could, uh, becoming ordained and officiating same-sex weddings um, allowed me to hear stories from the couples and getting to know them and Uh, I started hearing stories about families who were not accepting or acknowledging the relationships of these beautiful couples who are in love and having a very special day together, uh, their wedding. And one night out of frustration after hearing one of these stories, uh, I made a social media post uh, with a picture that had my hand up in the air. And I said, if your biological mom won't attend your same-sex wedding, then you call me. I'll be there. I'll be your biggest fan. I'll even bring the bubbles. And that post went viral. And it caught the attention of Jamie Lee Curtis. And we started talking. Uh, she came to our home and visited my family. And but she found out about the book. And um, she loved it. And she acquired the rights to the book. And um, her intention is to not only direct, but star in as me, um, How We Sleep at Night, the Sarah Cunningham story. And it, it was already planned to be in production, but COVID just really um, put a, a setback in the production of that. So, you know, they're still trying to figure out how she's committed to the project, uh, even I mean, even now. And uh, so we're hopeful as soon as we get the green light from COVID, we'll be able to do something. What is that like? I saw when she was talking about um, seeing your post and then she said, and then I do what every person does when you see someone who inspires you. I Facebook friended her. What is that like to get a face? Did you think it was fake? I thought I was getting catfished. I did. (laughs) I did. I, I even told her that. I said, well, I'm going to pray that I'm not getting catfished. Um, but she sent me some information that proved that it was her and, you know, pictures of where she was and what she was doing at that time. And anyway, convinced me that it was in fact her. And then we had phone conversations after that. And then she came out, of course, and visited my family. And it was a wonderful. She's a woman of, of great integrity. And uh, she's very well spoken in the fact that she is very direct. There's no dancing around or anything. And I appreciate that about her uh, because this whole thing is like foreign to me. And um, but she's just included me in every step of the way. And um, in the meeting, the producers at Sony and Lifetime, I did ask that uh, it be in the contract that nothing bad had to happen to Parker, because I believe if you're familiar with the movie Boy Erased, uh, there's a, a pretty intensive scene there um and whether that happened or not i'm not debating but i believe showing that gave ammunition to um the naysayers that say well 
there's that, mm-hmm. you know, because yeah. history is where you think, you know, a child is sexually uh, molested or something bad has to happen and it turns them gay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, anyway, so I made sure that was in the contract and I'm hoping they'll use some of his music. I didn't know if you know, but he's a singer songwriter um, and I'm his biggest fan. What does knowing that this movie is a possibility and you know, you guys walking, you know, at least the past few years together in this journey. Um, what does Parker think about all of this? Well, I think it was validation that I'm not crazy um, <laughs> with each step. And even my husband goes, I would have never guessed that any of this would happen. <laughs> um, even writing the book, it's like, if you would have told me that even two years prior, I wouldn't have believed you. But my family's very supportive and, um, you know, having Parker be able to share his part of the story. I'm hopeful he'll write about it someday uh, from his perspective. And um, yeah, yeah, it's been wonderful. And I'm so thankful. So um, one of the things that you've said, Sarah, that I'm curious about, because I'm not super educated on it, is I've, I've heard about this thing, and, and you mentioned it today, conversion therapy. And, and that makes me think, okay, there is actually a therapeutic process that has been developed that is meant to convert someone from one way of being to the other. And when you talked about that, thinking about there being, because, you know, Moose and I are big therapy junkies. Like we love therapy. We love, you know, the way that the mind works and we explore like, how does that feel in my body? And, and all of that kind of stuff. Conversion therapy seems like an absolutely horrific existence. What is your experience with that? And what can we do to change it? Well, um, conversion therapy is any kind of practice that would try to change a person's sexual orientation to heterosexual. Um, Any type of of practice. Uh, A lot of times people might think that um, people are tortured and they they have been. They have been. Make no mistake about that. But the majority of conversion therapy tactics or practices is shame-based. Shame. And, um, I mean, I have heard real horror stories. And um, a lot of the conversion therapy, uh, those who undergo that um, practice, uh, some of it is is self. um, They put themselves through it, hoping to make themselves normal. And others uh, are pressured by their families to do it, to um, maybe continue to be supported or uh, financially if they're in college or school. Um, But regardless of whatever the reason is, whether it's self-induced or, you know, by others, uh, it's a dangerous, harmful, deadly practice. It's banned, I believe, now in 19 states, but it's still legal, sought out and paid for in the state of Oklahoma, not far from where I live. Wow. I did not know that it was still, I thought, I thought it was completely outlawed in the U S and you had mentioned that, that it, no, actually down the street, you know, there are people who are still operating like this is an okay thing. And, you know, I just, I have a friend that went through conversion therapy and first of all, I didn't know it really existed. I thought conversion therapy was like, oh, it's like a camp that your parents send you to and hopefully you undo all the gayness. 
Um, and my friend who shared with me what she went through, and that was here in Tennessee, um, in Nashville, um, it was recommended by a church and, um, she basically, you know, they, they just told her everything you feel naturally is completely wrong. Here is all the scripture to back it up. So again, using power and, um, and religion to basically say, you know, how you feel is not right. Um, and she came out of it, um, in a deeper hole. And honestly, I'm surprised she survived it because it was so painful to her process. It's criminal, really. I believe it is. And, um, it just, it really keeps me awake at night when I think about it. Um, it's, it's just shame. And, you know, the part about you saying before that you didn't even know that it was still possible. A lot of people that are not involved with the church, they have no idea. They have no idea. Um, some local moms and I, we protested a church that was showing a film that was dangerous to the transgender community and their families. And we protested. We Let me rephrase that. We demonstrated. We had a peaceful demonstration. Yes. But, you know, passerbys, they had no idea what happens inside of a church. And do you know what happened? That church canceled the screening of the show. Oh, wow. Excellent. Yeah. Great job. Yeah. So it, it has to be about bringing public awareness. Um you know, a lot of Oklahomans have no idea that is still happening. Hmm. Man, that is so sad. But we're working on it. We're working on it. Yeah. Yeah. Sarah, when I was reading, um, I noticed that you said when you were a kid, you had a nickname of Goose. Is that true? Yes. My mother. Um, well, at the time I was young, maybe eight or nine years old. And, um, she just started calling me goose. And I thought it was because of my beautiful neck and how long it was, or, you know, <laughs> graceful it was. Um, but, uh, you know, as I grew older, I realized it's because I was always in someone's business. I had to know what my friends were doing, <laughs> where they were going, when I was going to see them again. I mean, constantly. And I'm even the same way today, very social and need to know everything. Hey, that makes for a good activist getting in other people's business. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Well, I just found it kind of cool that that you, Sarah Cunningham, were willing to come on the Cat and Moose podcast and you used to go by Goose, at least according to your mom. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Can you pull the curtain back a little bit and let us know like what what is coming down the pipe for Free Mom Hugs? Well, I think first and foremost is getting through COVID. You know, uh, free mom hugs is uh, based on a physical, you know, touch and going into 2020, I thought that we were just going to hit warp speed because we had the movie. Um, we were, had chapters in every state. I thought we're going to warp speed and it felt like COVID just pulled the plug Yeah, and we were like stuck, but thankfully we had a healthy social media presence. And so Rather than, you know, trying to bring the community together, we're working on keeping the community together. And uh, so next is we're planning the 2021 calendar and we've got a plan A and a plan B just in case. So lots of things adapting to the situation, um, but it is full steam ahead in plan A or plan B. It's going to be great. Wonderful. I just have one more question uh, before we wrap. I, I want to ask you, um, 
How has your perspective on God changed through all of this? I can tell you that I experienced God to a greater degree than I ever thought possible. I experienced the power, I believe, of the Holy Spirit more. Um, There's no fear. There's no condemnation. There's no shame uh, on, on myself or anyone that I meet. And um, it has allowed me to see people as beautiful, spirit-filled people, gifts from God, and um, just enriched my life. And uh, I'm so thankful. Um, I, I taught my kids this, that we should know the difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation makes us want to run from God. Conviction will take us to God. Mm -hmm. Wow. But there's no shame in God. There's no shame at all. I think shame is the ultimate sin. Mm -hmm. Yes, that is so good. Because we we shame ourselves, we shame each other. But I honestly, I'm not boasting, but I don't, I don't feel that tendency anymore. You know, yeah, even to shame myself. That is really, that's really awesome. So Sarah, you know, we uh, work in the music industry as our full-time jobs. Uh, we we have business in the Christian music industry predominantly. And, um, you know, a hero to so many people um, who happen to be a Christian and be gay was Jennifer Knapp. And um, I realized that she was actually a big part of your story as you were walking through some of these questions. Yes. Um, in the book, I have a chapter called Glimmers of Hope. And I list her as one of those glimmers. Um, I love Jennifer Knapp. I listened to her music. I owned every CD, uh, knew every word. I mean, big, big fan. And she, her music really ministered to me in my faith walk, as you're familiar yes. with that term. Um <laughs> But I did write about her in the book, and um, if you don't mind, I'll just read a little bit. Please. Uh, Jennifer Knapp. Um, Well, first of all, I was desperate for a deeper understanding that would go beyond my preconceived idea that if you're gay, you go to hell. I needed to hear from a heart of someone who really knew what I was going through with my son and my faith. I needed someone to speak to me about the power of love and the gift of grace and not a single thing more. Jennifer now immediately came to mind. And no, I don't know her personally, but I love her music. Uh, she was a longtime Christian artist who recently announced that she's gay. And you can imagine the upset the Christian music industry had when she came out. And to quote her, she says, the struggle I've had has been with the church, acknowledging me as a human being, trying to live the spiritual life that I've been called to in whatever ramshackled, broken, frustrated way I've always approached my faith. But I still consider my hope to be a whole human being, to be a person of love and grace. And knowing that she professed to be a Christian, Uh, She came out uh, as an adult, and then uh, I heard that she had a new CD coming out under a different label. So I went to the music store, and I bought it right away, and I sat in my Jeep, and I put it in, and I just cried hot tears as she wrote 
about her this new journey that she was on. And I believed her because I knew she was a woman of faith. And I felt like I could trust her and I believed in her story and her faith journey there. And that was the, one of the first glimmers of hope that I had that you could be gay and you could be Christian. Beautiful. I love that you call those a glimmer of hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that is really beautiful. And I think she just graduated or is about to graduate Divinity School at Vanderbilt, which is badass. Oh. Like, I think that's so cool. It's like, okay, you're somebody I want to know a whole lot about theology and all of that. So yeah, yeah. No, I, I actually do have somewhat of a rapport with her. She helped um, with our virtual tour last year. Usually free mom hugs, I'll go on tour. Yeah, But she... Uh, sang a song, one of my favorite songs of hers is Undo Me. And uh, so she sang it. She sang it. And we played it on the virtual tour. And I follow her on, on Instagram. We follow each other. And so we have some interaction there. But I just love her so much. I do hope to get to meet her someday. She's wonderful. Yeah, that's so awesome. That's so fun. I want to meet you one Me day, too. Sarah. I want us all to hang out and watch a movie. Oh, here's what I want to do. I <laughs> I want to, us and Jamie Lee Curtis, we go back and we watch all the Halloween movies <laughs> from when she was 17 years old until now. I've seen every single one of them, and she's the only reason I keep watching them. <laughs> Absolutely. I'll, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Um, Sarah Cunningham, thank you so much for spending time with the Cat and Moose podcast. We have enjoyed hearing from your heart and hearing about free mom hugs and are just so excited about what you're doing and hope that it absolutely continues to grow and expand and that COVID is something that does not even have one bit of strength over that. And also too, Uh, For those of you who have been listening, just a reminder that Sarah's book, How We Sleep at Night, is out. You can buy it where you buy good books everywhere. And we are so excited that eventually it's going to come out as a movie of which you are the main character, (laughs) played by (laughs) Jamie Lee Curtis. That's really cool. And thank you so much for spending time with us and, and for your heart, first and foremost, for your son and your family, and then all of the people who you and your organization have impacted. Well, thank you for the platform. Uh, I hope it's received well. And again, I love what you're doing. So we're in this together and we're better together. Ah, that's awesome. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. I just got a free mom hug. Special thanks to our producer, Sarah Reed. To find out more, go to catandmoosepodcast.com. Production.